he lived before the three and a half years that he got involved in ministry. And the entire gospel is mainly covering that three and a half years. But what happened in the, the first 30? <laughs> and he lived like you and I lived. And, and I think we've got lessons to learn from that. And that's what we're taking a look at when we look at uh, Jesus in the marketplace. So the past few weeks we've been kind of focusing on that. Uh, I just want to highlight uh, that on the first Sunday of November, we are having Dr. Kirk Milhone. Uh, he is going to be sharing with us treatments, uh, prevention and early treatments of COVID-19, November 7th, uh, here at 1.30. It's, it's going to be live and also on Zoom. So we already had him with our senior group. He was outstanding, just a, a phenomenal guy. He's treated 200 patients. None of them have died. Two of them have got, only two have gone into the hospital and then came out. So uh, it's an amazing, he, nobody is talking about this guy <laughs> that's, that's in Maui doing, doing this. So he's going to come and share a little bit. He's, he is also a pastor of the church, um, uh, Calvary Chapel uh, in Kihei. <coughs> uh, he is an amazing guy that is a minister of Jesus Christ in the marketplace, and we are looking at that uh, today. How many of you, when you take a look at Jesus, or if you've had these kinds of feelings in the past, that you kind of take a look at Jesus as um, a poor, itinerant preacher? Have you ever had that kind of vision of Jesus? Anybody ever looked at Jesus like that? You know, I've, I've kind of looked at Jesus that way, and I thought, well, he's my model. If I live poor, I'll be more spiritual, right? And so for the first few decades of my Christian life, I kind of had that kind of perspective until the Lord had to just really knock me down and help me to realize that uh, I'm not living in a third world country. <laughs> I live in a very prosperous nation, and God wants me to be able to uh, utilize and be a steward of what he's given to me. <clears throat> uh, this, this message uh, is taken from Ed Sovol. If you're interested in wanting to study more about this, Ed Sovol has written a book called Anointed for Business, and I would really encourage you to get that. That shockingly opened my eyes to what the Bible says about heroes of the Old Testament, that they weren't preachers, and they weren't prophets, and they weren't scribes, and Pharisees, and religious leaders. They were people in the marketplace, every single one of the leaders in the Old Testament. <clears throat> and in our minds, I think the big question, and this is what I want to cover this morning, is was Jesus a monk or a manager? And he spent most of his time managing, <laughs> working in the marketplace than he did uh, in that small three-and-a-half-year period of his life that was so impactful, but it was based on a foundation of how he lived his life in the world of business. Father, bless your word. Bless our hearts. Speak to us. We just give you thanks in Jesus' wonderful name. Everybody said amen. Uh, <clears throat> I'm going to have in just a short while Danny um, Asao come and share his story with us. Uh, misconceptions about Jesus. I don't know if this has affected you, but I've taken a look at different passages of Scripture in my life. And when Jesus chose, cho uh, chased away the money changers from the temple in um, John, the second chapter, it almost seems to me that he had uh, some kind of grudge in his heart 
against people in business. You know, that's the kind of impression that you get if you don't understand the full scope of everything that's in the scriptures. And then in Luke 18, when the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, um, how do I get eternal life? And Jesus lists down uh, the commands that needs to be followed. And he says, I followed them all. And Jesus says, there's one thing you lack. <laughs> Sell all the, uh, everything that you've got. Become poor and follow me. <laughs> and we say, well, that's the standard, you know, that we need to sell everything in order to follow Jesus Christ. And he elevates poverty. You know, that's, that's in our minds what we think. Um, we think because in Matthew chapter 8, verse 20, when somebody wanted to follow Jesus, he looked at them and he said, uh, birds have nests to live in. Foxes have holes to live in, but the Son of Man has nothing, nowhere to lay his head. Oh, he's poor. You know, Jesus is poor. And that is so far from the truth. And then when we take a look at uh, when Jesus says, uh, <clears throat> you can't have two masters. You're going to love one and, and hate the other. And so lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. You know, don't worry about anything on earth. And we take a look at that and say, well, Jesus it seems like he's looking at labor and the profit motive as unspiritual. Isn't that, you know, the proper way of looking at it? Those are misconceptions. So how do we look at Jesus? How do we see who he is and how he lives his life? And I, I think we need to take a look at the full scope of everything that Jesus did, not just the three and a half years of ministry that uh, Jesus performed, uh, and take a look at how he performed it. So Jesus loved the marketplace. Uh, he engaged himself with the disciples that first were taken uh, out of the marketplace, the tax collector, Matthew, uh, Peter, James, and John, who were fishermen. In fact, when Jesus was born in uh, Luke, the second chapter, you know that Jesus was born in, an, uh, in the manger on the side of an inn. You know what an inn is? It's when travelers are traveling through a town, and they need a place to stay. You know, it's a hotel. It's a modern-day hotel. That's what it was. And Jesus was born where all the horses and the oxen and the mules were parked. So it was the parking lot of a modern-day hotel. That's where Jesus was born. And so you say, wait, wait a minute. You know, this, this doesn't fit correctly. Um, what my theology tells me about Jesus Christ. God chose Jesus to be born in a business setting, and the first people that came to him were shepherds. And so we say, oh, that, you know, that's just an agricultural um, uh, climate that he was born in. But who, who were the shepherds? The shepherds were those who had a business, and their business was raising sheep in order to sell it to make money in order to provide for their families and whoever else that they were supporting. So they were the, they were the first century business people that came to honor Jesus when he was born. So his birth is filled with uh, the business world, the marketplace. He was not born in a temple or next to a, uh, a synagogue with uh, lots of priests and rabbis all around. <clears throat> so, some people look at Jesus as um, one who rubs shoulders a lot with poor and sickly people and ministered to them. Uh, and 
never gave a thought that Jesus felt very, very comfortable with people who were wealthy and rich. And yet, when Matthew, when we watched The Chosen, we saw Jesus calling Matthew and tax collectors of their day, we understand this, that they were the most wealthiest people because they could manipulate money any way they wanted to, right? They could charge anyone taxes however much they wanted to and pocket the money and you, so they were despised and hated. And Jesus, when he called Matthew, he looked at Matthew and says, hey, let's have a party at your house. And all the wealthy and all the rich were the ones that came to that. And they were despised by the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day. Peter came up one day to Jesus and says, you know, uh, I, I don't know whether we should pay taxes or not. Uh, should we? And Jesus says, yes, we should. And he said, just go. This is Matthew chapter 17. <clears throat> just go and uh, fish at the lake. The first fish you catch, look in its mouth, and you'll have enough gold to pay for your taxes. And my, Jesus says, my taxes, and your, Jesus was a tax-paying citizen of Rome. And he said, you, you take care of that. He understood how the government and finances and economy worked, and he was, uh, he grew up in that environment. <clears throat> what is really interesting is the parables that Jesus teaches that we look at as just spiritual lessons. But every single one of the parables of Jesus <laughs> is taken from his experience of 30 years working with people as a carpenter, <clears throat> working with fishermen, uh, working with bankers, uh, working with tax collectors, working with construction workers, and he, everywhere in, uh, in Nazareth, and his parables were taken from the marketplace. So those are stories of construction, development and construction. They're stories of management and labor. They're stories of family-owned businesses. When the father told uh, his two sons, let's get out into the field and work, one said, okay, I'm going. The other one said, no, I'm not going. They had a family-owned business that they were running. <clears throat> the Sower and the seed was about agriculture and farming. Uh, the, their stories of hostile takeovers, return on investments, construction planning and finances. The mis this is really interesting. The parable of uh, the lost son. You know, when he came to his father and said, give me my money. I'm, and that is a story of a son who walked away from his father, wanted to take whatever the father would give to him and uh, spend it on himself. What that was, was an uh, uh, insight that probably Jesus got when he was watching people handle money in the world. <laughs> and it was a lesson of the misuse of money, how we mismanage money, and how we face bankruptcy in our lives. And that's, the, that's what's happening all across the economy of our nation and the world. And he was taking all of these things from what's going on around him and teaching spiritual lessons through it. What is really interesting was that <coughs> Jesus, you know, we had, I, I thought we had a really great series of services praying for people's healing in our, in, in, in our service. But you know what God is more interested in? Wanting you to take that faith that can believe that God can heal 
and not just believe that it's going to happen when we gather together, but you can take that out there where you work, where you rub shoulders with people. Um, in the past few weeks, I had a chance just playing tennis with people. I, I love tennis, and I, um, one of the one of the couples that was playing, I was playing with, uh, and I couldn't understand this. You know, he he got into an accident. Somebody uh, hit his car, and he was just so upset because he had to process insurance uh, papers, and he's just really really upset. I said, "Why are you upset?" He said, "I just don't like doing going through all of this." I said. Uh, can I just pray for you that you have peace? <laughs> and he said, yeah, sure. So right on the tennis court, I'm praying for him, you know. And uh, there was another guy. I, I, we started talking. Um, one, uh, and, and he was telling me that for the first time in his life, he's afraid of death. Because he faced a heart problem, atrial fibrillation. And I said, can, can I pray for you that, you know, and, and let me share with you what, what Jesus Christ can do. So we prayed together. And I had, one week later, I had an opportunity to present Jesus and what Jesus could do for his life. <coughs> God doesn't want miracles to happen inside the four walls of a church. He wants to inspire us to take that outside where we meet with people. And the people that you touch and minister to are, uh, I can never reach. But that's what Jesus did. He performed miracles in the marketplace. Uh, we, we don't take a look at it from this perspective of Matthew 14 and the other Gospels. Speak about a young boy that had five loaves, two fishes, gave it to Jesus. And Jesus took it, prayed, thanked God for it, and then started breaking it uh, to feed probably fifteen to 25,000 people with five loaves, two fishes. You know what is really interesting? When that little boy came to Jesus and gave it to Jesus... <laughs> He didn't anticipate what Jesus was going to do with it, but this is what Jesus loves to do. Whatever it is we give to him, he wants to multiply it. When that boy left that day after all the crowd was fed, the Bible says that there were 12 basketfuls of fishes and, and loaves of bread that was left over. I don't think Jesus just gave him two loaves. Uh, five loaves and two fishes to take home. You know, he had basketfuls to take home with him. The Lord multiplies whatever investments we make into his kingdom. That's just God's way. And you're going to hear Danny share the story about his place of business. <clears throat> when uh, Peter faced the problem of fishing all night and coming, coming up empty, no fish in his net. Jesus says, do it again. And where there was no fishes biting, no business was successful, God provided. And we know the story. We saw it in The Chosen. You know, not only were the nets full, they threw it into the boat. And not only did the boat become uh, so full of fish that it began to sag, they had to, they had to ask for help for another boat to come over. That's Luke, the fifth chapter. And it wasn't in a temple. It wasn't a feast in a synagogue. It was at a couple's home that their daughter and their son was getting married, and they ran out of wine. Jesus takes water, 
pours it into these huge, huge containers and turns water into wine in a home because he honors where we live and where we do our business. I think we need to take a look a little differently at Jesus. I just want to look at this one thing about Jesus. Did you know that Jesus was a CEO during his lifetime prior to getting involved in uh, three and a half years of ministry? Do you know that he was CEO of a large family business? Now that totally shatters our concept of who Jesus is. You know, He was a businessman working for money, profits, providing services, figuring out how to get material and then be able to uh, get those material into shapes that could be provided for others. The Bible, this is really interesting. Mark 6 verse 3 says, as Jesus is beginning his ministry, this, this is the reaction people give to Jesus. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Barry? And they're bewildered. <laughs> they cannot understand how this man can do what he's doing because all they know about is a reputation that he has, that he's a, uh, the word carpenter is the word uh, tekton in, in Greek. Tekton is not just a carpenter that, that does repair. You know, he's not just a, an average carpenter. The word tekton is an artisan, a master of his trade, a craftsman. Uh, he was a custom designer, a carpent carpenter. And this carpenter didn't have a father at this time. You know, no, nothing in Jesus' adult life is mentioned of his father, Joseph. But he had, for his uh, family, James, Joseph, Judah, Simon, four brothers, and at least two sisters, six members of the family, maybe more sisters, you know, at, but at least two, and then his mother Mary, and then himself. So at least eight in his family. By the time he was 30, they probably were married. And so that puts it up at 15 or 17 people that had to get provided for by the carpentry business, and Jesus as the first son was responsible for it. So he was in charge of the entire business. And then God calls him to leave all that, and we'll talk about uh, <coughs> a little bit of that. But Jesus loved to do miracles in the marketplace because that's where he came from. And I want to ask Danny to come. Danny Asao is um, the general manager for uh, Jim Falk and has a background in, um, uh, in the whole area of uh, car sales. <coughs> um, he was sitting in our church, and he's been coming, he and uh, Josiah, his wife, I don't know, for several months, and he, he sat down during The Chosen for one of the discussion times, and he began telling me the story, and I thought, wow, <laughs> this is an amazing, amazing story that uh, he has, but what God did through his life uh, because he was obeying God. And um, I, I kind of looked at him and I thought, you know, he's a, uh, he's a local boy and his last name is Asao, A-S-A-O. And I thought, you know, he might be related to me because maybe his family, for, as they were writing their last name, somehow left out the T, you know, for Asao. And it should be Asato. <laughs> but uh, here's Danny. Danny has his story. 
Thank you, thank you. Just a little correction. I've been coming here for two years now. <laughs> it's a couple months. But, yeah, I'm Danny Asal. <clears throat> my, my testimony is of faith and obedience. Uh, I grew up, you know, humble uh, settings. I grew up in Kalihi. Uh, you guys know where Kalihi is. I don't really... Real nice area to live growing up. Anyway, if you guys don't know where that is, it's a rough area. Anyway, my uh, testimony is uh, example. Ed Silvoso's anointed for business analogies. I mean, just growing up, you know, at humble times like that. My dad was a baker, and uh, he owned a bakery in front of KPT. I don't know if you know where KPT is, <laughs> Kuyo Park Terrace in front of the projects. But uh, my mom was a restaurateur. She owned. Swan Coffee Shop. My mom actually was the general manager of uh, Laron Restaurant, which was the revolving restaurant on top of Ala Moana building back in the day. In fact, she conceived me in 1963 while she was the general manager of Laron Restaurant. And um, I came to Maui in 1992 to work for Valley on Motors. They, they told me, oh yeah, we sell a whole bunch of cars, this and that, blah, blah, blah. And I came over here one Wednesday and that Friday, I've been here for years, but um, I was here till 2011. But during that period, like within 2005, I actually worked for a six-month period. I took a little sabbatical. <laughs> I went to work for a cutter team at the Kaahumanu for the, the import store they had over here. But eventually, I went back to Jim Falk. But I left back to Honolulu in 2011 to be the general manager of Tony Honda for a short period, then joined the Cutter team at Ala Moana. Once again, they always treated me well, the Cutter team. And um, shortly after that, Mark Benson called me in 2012, the new president of Honolulu Ford, and he called me and he asked me to help him revive Honolulu Ford. Um, Honolulu Ford was in uh, disrepair. I mean, they were like $7 million upside down. So I, I actually, <laughs> it was run by a bad operator. I was looking at the financial statement. Obviously, I was kind of hesitant to take that position because how am I going to unbury us from $7 million, you know? Mark Benson was, uh, uh, is a um, believer, and he's a son of a Lutheran minister. So somehow, as I prayed about it, because I and I prayed about it, I believe I was destined to be there to help him through this struggle. So the first couple of years, we worked long hours. We worked hard at it. We attended and uh, supported charities, major charities. And we even employed second chance people. You know what second chance people are? You know, Ex-inmates and drug addicts and stuff like that. And surprisingly, we resulted in 90 plus percent success rate with these people. We had them attend our church, New Hope Oahu. Uh, where Pastor Wayne was is is the senior pastor, and uh, in fact, we created several managers out of those employees. A couple of them today are ministers. So, um, you know, early in our quest, we, we we built a banner. We put a banner on the side of the building. I don't know where you if you know where Honolulu Ford is today is right off of the H1 freeway. And I, I put a banner up, a big banner, said, we are grateful. And uh, we posted it on the side of the building. So everyone on the freeway every morning, you know, 
240,000 vehicles going by, <laughs> see the sign, we are grateful. So people would come into the teacher, go, what do you guys, why you put that sign up there for? You know, and it gave us a chance to witness to people. And, you know, it actually drove business to the dealership. And, uh, you know, a lot of people would call me and, you know, Dave Chun and I have been friends for years and years. And he was a former uh, dealer there before this guy that we took over. And, um, you know, everybody would tell me, oh, yeah, that, that location will never work, and it's a bad location, and it's in a bad area, and it'll never make profit, and this and that. And, you know, every, I, I live by Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 every day of my life. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tells us to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean out on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he shall direct your paths. You know, I press on this, and, you know, as men, we, you know, we got eagles and stuff. You know, no worry, we get them, you know, I got this, you know, instead of giving it to God. And that's super important because when he says, you know, the word says, acknowledge him in all your ways, and he shall direct your paths. He, he means acknowledge him in everything that you do. Not just, oh, when you're having problems or you need help with something. Acknowledge him in all your ways, meaning when you go to work out, you go shopping, or you make decisions on things that you buy or, you know, that's what acknowledging him in all your ways means. And if you do that obediently, that's how things come to fruition. That's how you manifest your desires, you know, and that's really important, yeah. Needless to say, we made great increases in sales and profits, unvarying us from the deficit that we walked into originally. I mean, it took some time and we just started generating uh positive income and uh in 2000 late in 2013 we decided should we close on sundays it just came up and um you think about that sundays is one of the biggest car days for dealers in some areas you know sometimes if you think about it a sunday you generate 10 cars you could earn 50 to 100 thousand dollars in a day you think about that and people goes, wow, they make plenty of money. Well, Honolulu Ford, <laughs> the property that Honolulu Ford is, six acres, is owned by Kamehameha Schools. My monthly land lease on that facility was $250,000 a month. <laughs> plus, my, plus my building mortgage was $75,000. Plus my monthly payroll was $500,000. I mean... Not to mention electricity, water, you know, my upkeep, maintenance, facility maintenance and stuff. You know, so my profitability was very difficult to reach if I didn't earn a certain amount of money. So you think that was faith going into closing on Sundays? <laughs> so <laughs> we uh, consulted with church leaders and prayer teams across Oahu and stuff like that and even outer islands. And we eventually asked Wayne Cordero, we said, hey. Ask him, pray with us, you know, let us know what you think, what, what, what you do, you know, about closing on Sundays and stuff. And, you know, after a week, actually, of, of talking with him and praying with him, one day he came, he said, and he had to go back to the office. He said, okay, guys, I'll see you later. He said, what do you think? He goes, hey, no worry. Uh, you'll do the right thing. <laughs> okay. I'm like, talk about indecision. You know, I'm like. 
Well, late uh, Monday in late January 2014, I had a prayer meeting with Vice President of iHeartMedia, Scott Ogle. He's also the author of Persuade, New York's best-selling uh, novel. I don't know if you folks ever read that, but Scott Hogo is the author of that. He's also the vice president of iHeartMedia. And uh, we often meet at his office on, in uh, the Dole Cannery, and we, we talk about, you know, we do devotions and prayer very often. And this day that we had devotion and prayer, I was ready to leave, and he goes, you know what? I don't think you should close on Sunday. Hit me like a ton of bricks. Obedience. And I, I, I you know, it hit me like that. I mean, it's like I, I was kind of shocked, you know, throughout my life being raised in a non-denominational church. You know, Brian Hugh grew up in that church too, but Kamiki Community Church, Pastor David Boone, you know, actually, he actually named me when I was born, Daniel, after his late cousin, <laughs> Daniel Boone. And we often learn about the Sabbath, right? Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath day of your Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger, who is within your gates. For the six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the seas and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. On February 2nd, 2014, Super Bowl Sunday, we closed on a report. <coughs> and we closed the store on Sundays from that date on. I changed the banner to read Sunday We Rest from We Are Grateful. You talk about action. People came in on Mondays and said, what does that mean? You know, you guys just closed yesterday. You guys, you know. You know. In 2011, Honolulu Ford, before I joined Honolulu Ford with Mark Benson, was earning about $25 million a year. In 2016, before I left, we earned $88 million a year. We were Hawaii Business Magazine's top 250 businesses in Hawaii. And in November 16, 2016, Doc Group was, was owned by Honolulu Ford at that time, was bought by Lithia Group, the Lithia Auto Group. Honolulu Ford has been around since 1954. A little backstory on that dealership is, is that Ernest Breach owned that store, which is now a conglomeration of dealerships, the Dock Group, based in California. But Ernie Breach acquired that dealership. He was the, he was the only non-Ford family CEO of Ford Motor Company back then. And this was given to him as a retirement present when he retired, Honolulu Ford. That's the story behind Honolulu Ford, 1954. He was the first non-Ford family CEO of Ford Motor Company. So this is an, this is an example of faith and obedience, yeah? And, and, you know, Ed Silvoso's, you know, anointed for business. I mean, we all 
or anointed for business. As we leave the church today and we go into our craft out there this week coming up, you know, we need to understand that we all anointed for business. We all in the marketplace ministry, right? If you're a Christian, yeah, and you believe in Christ, you know, so that's just a little story. I, I, I got another story of Maui. <laughs> I have another story about Maui, but I don't have enough time right now. <laughs> I mean, about what's happening now in Maui, where I'm at with Jim Falk. But um, my wife actually is in Honolulu. Her mom is in Straub. She evidently had COVID. She's from Molokai. They went to uh, que uh, Queens first, and now they're at Straub. So she's doing fine. But my wife had an opportunity to go today to visit her and stuff like that. So I want to just thank my wife. She's been through me through thick and thin. She put up with me, you know what I mean? <laughs> She's been the greatest support to me. So, you know, it's not easy being a vessel for God. You know, I mean, shoots, you, you, with all this political correctness and, you know, cancel culture and stuff like that, it's just, can you imagine, it just irritates me. But I mean, God forgive me, but, you know, it's just, you know, one last thing I want to say is that success does not come without difficulty. Nobody's going to tell me that you're going to go out there and say, hey, you know, I'm doing this business. Whatever happens, happens. The fact of the matter is you go out into and do your craft. You want to do it the best that you can. You want to be successful and prosperous just like Jesus Christ did. You know, so remember that, you know. Success always follows difficulty. So you're going to have times in your life where you're going to have challenges. But God says, you know, in life you'll have trouble. But don't worry. Don't fear. I have overcome the world. You know, thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Danny. It's amazing, you know. Giving your life to God will affect not only your personal life, it affects your family and where you work. It will impact people that you work with. Jesus had impacted his community through the family-owned business of the carpentry uh, business that he was involved with. This is what Anointed for Business on, uh, on page 36, chapter 2 says. And this is in regards to Jesus. Now, try and think about this. You, we picture Jesus teaching on a mountain, uh, healing the sick on the shores of Galilee, and uh, visiting homes all throughout Capernaum and ministering. But we fail to look back at the 30 years prior when he was involved in business. And this is part of what he had to do. The daily business routine likely included... This is what Jesus was involved with. The calculation of the cost of goods and labor. How much did it cost to make what he was making in order to provide it for the people of Nazareth? He had to figure that out. The interplay between supply and demand. How much was, was going to be uh, purchased and how much did he have to bring in in order to make sure that there was enough to provide for people who wanted it. The establishment of competitive pricing, the measurement of the potential return on his investments, the estimation of maintenance costs and the replacement of equipment. This is precisely what Jesus did 
for most of his adult life. We don't see that part of Jesus. He was engaged in, on a regular basis with business with, uh, and working with a huge staff of his uh, family. When he began his ministry, people came to him and they said, um, we want to follow you, Jesus. And they looked at him and they called him rabbi. In the Jewish tradition, a, a rabbi usually has, for all Jewish children, they're trained in a trade of some kind. So when they're involved in doing spiritual teaching, that was just a kind of thing on the side. And for Jesus, when he embarked on his three-and-a-half-year ministry, he had the background of his carpentry business behind him, and he never charged for any of his services. Can you imagine that? Never charged for any of his services. How did he provide for himself? He had to, during that 30-year period prior to launching into ministry, have enough funding provided to be able to supply all of his needs for three and a half years. Can you, can you imagine what he had to go through in, in making sure he had enough for himself as well as the disciples that he was going to be raising up? And Paul has this incredible insight about Jesus, a revelation, because it's not mentioned in the gospel, but it's mentioned in the book of Acts. And he says, these are the words of Jesus Christ. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And Jesus' whole ministry was giving, 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 never thinking in his mind because he had provided su sufficiently for three and a half years. And, and it, it's amazing what, what they had. Uh, the Bible says that when Judas was pulling money out of the coffers, he was a treasurer for, for the disciples uh, group, they had no idea that he was taking, they had so much money, they had no idea, they didn't miss the money that, Judas was taking out. That's how much money they had. <clears throat> so these are my final thoughts. Uh, special insights. There's no division between labor and spirituality in the Bible. What you're doing in your job is not something separate from what happens in church. God doesn't make a dividing wall between the two. Our hearts and our hands are involved in our worship. What we do with our hands and how we worship Him in our hearts are all the same. In fact, in the Bible, labor was introduced before worship. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28 says, and this is the commission God gives to um, men, and, men and women, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. So I want you to work so hard that your work is prosperous and you expand your work and you fill the earth with the labor of your hands. And then in chapter 3, we find out that God's walking with Adam and Eve in the garden. Labor was introduced before worship. <clears throat> so we said, well, you know, is labor more important than worship? Is worship more important than labor? No. Labor is worship. Everybody, can you say that? Labor is worship. So I love what Danny said, you know. You acknowledge him in all your ways. Realize that God's there in everything that you do. Acknowledge him. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Work and find me with, with, with you in your work. You're going to learn about me while you're laboring. 
And then finally, this one thought, and we close. Uh, we can have the uh, worship team come on up. <clears throat> this is what God says to Adam and Eve after they sin. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. You're going to work, but your work is going to produce fruit. So labor after sin is a divinely sanctioned means to extract fruit from the reluctant soil that has been cursed because of sin. And God honors that work. He honors that labor. And he looks at it in such a way that he will be with you as you are rubbing shoulders with everyone that you come in contact with through the week. And he'll guide you, direct you, give you opportunities in the relationships you have with every single person so that when needs arise, he can give you words of wisdom to know what to do to touch their lives and minister to them. So your life is so valuable to God. When you look at what you're doing and you might think like, oh, this is not a real significant job that I'm involved with. The job might not be significant, but the people that you touch through that job is very, very important. And those are the things that God, is, God wants you to be aware of. The lives that you touch have, have an eternal value to them. And God wants to love people through you. You are his hands, you are his feet. Can you just stand? And we're gonna, I want to close in prayer asking that, you know, you hear a story from Danny like this. You know, it was, it took a lot for him to just make that decision for the business. We're going to close on Sunday because that's God's value. The Sabbath is what God has declared. And when he takes that step, he sees the hand of God. And I believe for every single one of us, we need to make decisions in our lives of how we can be used by God so that other lives can be touched and ministered to because it's not an accident where you are and what God's having you to do. And there are people who are hungry and thirsty to know who Jesus is and your life is a link between God and them. So I just want you to open your heart and say, Lord, use me. I want to be available for you. Danny, can you just close us in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, dear Heavenly Father, put a special make us strengthened by you, Lord. Give us wisdom and discernment, Lord. Bless our families and our friends and watch over us this week as we go into this new week and be with us. And we ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.